Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjazad, and with me today and only today and every other podcast is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. My name is Sammy Hadjazad, and with me today and only today and every other podcast is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, low-energy human listeners. <laughs> Greetings to all of our energetic listeners. Uh, in case it's the first time you're listening to this podcast, I'm the high-energy one, and Ben is the low-energy one. And this week, we've got a really fun selection of cars. I'm going to start us off, Ben, if you don't mind. I had, oh, you're going to like this, man, the Jeep, uh, oh, I keep messing this up, Compass, not the Liberty and not the Patriot, which are no longer available. Why do you keep messing it up, though? Like, what, are these similar vehicles to each other, or did one replace, did one replace both? What's the deal? (laughs) That's essentially it, is that, I don't know if you remember, but Jeep used to have a bunch of um, entry-level compact crossovers. It was the Liberty, the Compass, and the Patriot, and they've all been they've all been wiped off the plate the the face of the earth, except for the Compass. That one's still there, and it's been replaced. It's a second-generation model, and I drove it for a whole week. I did a fun little video with it. You can check that out. And I have some mixed feelings about this. Where do you so, want me to start with it? Well, I mean, why? First of all, why did Jeep wipe out those other models? Because I understood that they sold fairly well, but they weren't great. Is that, that's, is that I think accurate? That's what, I think they, if you were to ask me why they got rid of it, I think those cars really, really ruined the reputation of Jeep um, to a more mainstream audience. They were not very well-built cars. They were unreliable. They were unrefined. They weren't really rugged in the way that you expected Jeep to be. And there was just nothing really great going on with them. I don't know what the selling point to any of those those um jeeps were i think it was price I, th- I think it was price and the fact that you could tow them behind a motorhome that seemed to be like nine yeah. out of ten uh of the compass or the patriot or whatever that i saw not necessarily the compass but definitely the patriot was it was being hauled behind someone's winnebago and i do remember the older um liberties they were kind of neat too and i remember you could get them with like a diesel at some point or another but let's get back to the compass this is the second generation compass and i absolutely love the way it looks um the best way to describe it is imagine your head a jeep compass no i mean a jeep grand cherokee oh no <laughs> a jeep grand cherokee think of that the jeep compass looks like a jeep grand cherokee except for shrunk to about uh 60 of the size and that's a good thing. The Jeep, the Jeep Grand Cherokee is like they're one of the best products that not just that Jeep makes, but probably the entire FCA product lineup. The Grand Cherokee is such a great vehicle. It looks great. It drives great. It's available with so many great features. Um, it feels like a premium car when you get it in the higher trim trim levels. And to have a vehicle that looks exactly like that but smaller, just it just fills me up with good feelings. So, so it looks like the Grand Cherokee, but does it feel like the Grand Cherokee inside? Like, what's the deal? How how much of the Grand Cherokee pixie dust kind of brushes off onto the compass now? Okay, here's what it's got that's a lot like the Grand Cherokee. Um, It's got got, um, Uconnect, and it's got a knob that allows you to select the all-wheel drive mode that you should be in, which, like, the, the, the terrain select kind of thing. Um, so if you are driving in snow or sand or mud, you can select that and it's like that. 
So the Grand Cherokee is a lot like that, and the Compass is a lot like that. Everything a lot like, else a lot like what? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. The the Grand Cherokee has those features, and the Compass has those features. Everything else is so different about these two tracks. So yeah, that's what that's what I want. I, I'm not so interested necessarily in exact features, but just like personality-wise. Like if you get into a Compass, are you getting into a high-end vehicle that's just smaller? Like what's the feeling? That's that's my that's the both that's both the high point and the low point of the compass. It looks like a more premium vehicle than it is. I'm telling you, first impressions are great. Um, and even when you look inside the interior, a very quick look, you'll say, "Wow, that's a really that's a really buttoned down interior." Um, and it's well equipped. It's got a lot of features. You know, mine had heated seats and heated steering wheel. It had uh, forward collision warning and lo- and lane keep assist. It had a great rear view camera, and it had that funky feature that allows you to dial up your all wheel drive system. But beyond that, once you get closer to, once you 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 inspect things a little bit closer, you realize this is not um, a high end vehicle. It's it's definitely catered to a lower dem- uh, a, a, a more affordable um demographic i suppose or or a demographic with less money to spend well that's okay right like that's what it's for if if you wanted more you would get the grand cherokee i am really unimpressed with the interior in terms of um just the tactility of it it feels um like a grade below every other uh, fca product and i mean we we have always said that fca has really bumped up their interiors over the over the years this does not feel like that. Even even hard... lower than say the Renegade, which is uh, smaller than the uh, than the. Compass. It's about on par with the Renegade. I would say it's about on par with it with a with the Renegade. And I even had a limited trim model, which is the top of the line uh, version of the of the Compass, unless you get the Trailhawk, which is the more off road capable version of the uh, of the Compass. Um, I was really not happy with with especially you get in the back seats and you just do not feel like you're in something that has been thoroughly reimagined for for family duty. And one of the bigger issues that I have with this is just the practicality of it. Sure, it's got like trunk space and um, the rear, but the rear seats are pretty tight. There's also nowhere to put anything inside this this vehicle. There's no place to put your smartphone or your change or even your cup holders. The cup holders are limited space. I um, have a limited space and the door pockets are tiny. It's it's so unfriendly in that in that regard. Why do you, um, think, why do you think that is? So it, you're saying, in comparison to other similarly sized compact SUVs, absolutely, yeah. The Compass is kind of an also ram when it comes to practicality. Yeah, I'm really not impressed in this in this factor of the of the Compass. Like I said, looks great and has pretty good features, um, and it has an all wheel drive system, which is pretty. Uh, and we'll get to the powertrain in a, in a minute, I think. But the interior design, where what is one of the most important factors to a small crossover, is just not there for me. Um, so what about what about under the hood? Like, what's it like to drive? Okay, so under the hood, this is where things get a tiny bit better. It's a 2.4 liter four cylinder engine. That's a naturally aspirated engine. Um, these are these are getting harder to find in the in the segment. I think you'd look at the Rogue has a, a naturally aspirated engine, um, and the Rav Four would have one as well. Both of which would have 2.5s. This one has a 2.4. It makes 180 horsepower, 175 pound-feet of torque, which are pretty respectable numbers. I mean, when you consider that, say, the 1.5-liter turbo in the um, CRV makes about 190 horsepower and 180 pound-feet of torque, the fact that this thing does, you know, matches up in that way, uh, it's not that far off, should be pretty good. Um, it's also 
got a nine-speed automatic transmission, and that's where Jeep this this Compass has dropped the ball um, a bit as well. And I know we speak we've spoken in the past on these nine-speed auto. This is one of those ones that are that you wish they 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 looked over a little bit. It's really not a great transmission. It's you know it seems so dependent on how much torque the engine provides. I've noticed mm-hmm. that. Um, this nine-speed. This was available with the uh, 200, right? The Chrysler 200 back yeah. in the day. And and if you had it with the V6, it was fine. But if you had it with hmm. the four-cylinder, it just didn't seem to know what it was doing when you needed it to know what it was doing. It would hunt for gears. It would pick the wrong gear, or it would shift like two or three times in rapid succession, trying to find the right ratio for whatever you were trying to do as a driver. I absolutely hate it when that happens. Gear hunting is one of the worst experiences you can have in a, in a car. When you go up a hill especially and you get that moment of like lugging, that slow um, experience, and then suddenly the car just starts just starts freaking out and changing gears. Like, is this gear going to work? No, this one's too high. This one? No, this is not going to work. This one? No, uh, this will work for now. And this nine-speed, we'll, yeah. I mean, across the board for four-cylinder engines from FCA and Fiat. I mean, yeah. if you've ever been in a 500X with that nine-speed automatic, it's just, it's it's not pleasant. This is exactly how it would feel. I mean, this, if I could, if I could... Use the manual mode on this vehicle and lock it out of those like top three gears and just choose gears as I needed to. It's not that bad. I'm actually pretty okay with it. Um, but that's not how this thing works. Uh, it's not how the majority of people will drive this vehicle. Um, and it just feels like a wasted opportunity. That's a solid engine and a non-solid transmission to be to be paired to it. Speaking um, of how the majority of people will not drive this vehicle, I've had the chance to take the Compass off-roading. I, I drove the uh, Trail tra- Trailhawk version. I keep wanting yeah, to say Trackhawk now. I've been trained by SRT to say that. But uh, yeah, the, the Trailhawk version, and it was it was fairly capable. I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, good ground clearance. We had it up on you know two wheels, three wheels, and it was willing to keep moving even with one wheel in the air. Um, and the flex wasn't really that bad from the unibody platform. So it's it, it was impressive, but again... No one's going to really buy a compass to go off-road. You're going to take it down a cottage road or a gravel road or maybe some mud. Basically, mm-hmm. the kind of off-roading you would do in a Subaru is, I think, the target demographic for the compass. But it, it, if you really want to, you could. So I love that you brought up this your experience in the Trailhawk because I did not have the Trailhawk. I had the limited model. And not only that, I had a limited model with 19-inch wheels like that had all-season tires that looked like they were just there for show. Um, and because of the Jeep, I wanted to see what it could do, um, not in the severe off-roading that you did in the Trailhawk, but in some mud and snow and gravel. Um, and my first my first go at it, my first experience was not very confidence-inspiring. Um, I think I tried to drive the vehicle like I had the Trailhawk, and that was a bad idea because well, what, the tires... What, what just, was the experience? Where did you go? It was a it's a trail it's a trail that I know um, and that I use um, just west of the city. It's very heavily muddy and it's got a little bit of elevation. Um, it's got big ruts in it. So when I'm tra- taking this when I'm taking this this compass up it, I I want to pick up a little bit of speed and that really was not the the best way to do it. And then once I encountered the the lack of momentum, so like I'm on a up or downhill sort of um portion of this trail and wanted to give it some gas to get going so i didn't feel stuck the wheels spun a lot and the car started uh sliding and that's really not the most 
confidence inspiring experience when you're in a in an off road um, on a hill on narrow trail and you're sliding around. That's not exciting. At but all. I think a lot of that is tire dependent, right? Like it's so that is 100% true. If I had the right tires, that's right. But I think as well, just experience the way I was thinking of driving the car was not was not correct. The moment I slowed it down and the moment I put more faith in what the all wheel drive instability control system could do. That's when things started going a little bit better. And um, patience was a really important uh, factor here. And the car did not let me down um, and was much more controllable. Um, it takes, I think, a few tries with, with any car to, to try to find out what its limits are. And um, by the end of my, my little off-roading stint in the mud, things got better. But again, if you're going to be doing anything serious with it, you got to take a look at the tires that you've got. So mudding, mudding aside and interior aside and, you know, transmission aside, would, what would you, if you were looking to buy a crossover in the Compass's class, I mean, is there a vehicle that it's kind of, it, it beats somehow? Like, is this, is it a competitive vehicle? Is it something you would ever recommend to somebody? I, I have a really difficult time answering that question. Would I recommend it? You've got to be a really big fan of, of Jeep and the, and what Jeep represents, which is um, a vehicle with uh, off-road capability and a nameplate to to match that. It is not nearly as good as some of um, the other vehicles in this class. If we're going to compare it to a, a compact crossover, something like um, a CRV or CX-5, it's not as good as that. Um, even if you go to um, smaller vehicles, I would say I would much rather take a Subaru Crosstrek over it. Really? So, that's that's saying a lot because I feel like that I don't know if the Compass is bigger. It feels like it's a little bit bigger. And mm-hmm. for me, the Crosstrek is a vehicle I liked, but it's also one that's kind of felt underpowered at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, it's interesting for you to say that. But the but the Crosstrek has something that the the it makes do with its with its um, limited power, thanks to a very good CVT. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. CVTs are not very popular. Uh, most enthusiasts hate CVTs, and I'm going to say that the the CVT and the Crosstrek makes the best out of the engine situation, and um, and I think it's a, it's an important part of that. Would I put this at the bottom end of its class? It's definitely ba- it's definitely down there, man. Wow, that's that's surprising to me because I you know. know I drove it so long ago. I mean, so long ago, about a year ago on the launch, and I did not really have that level of disdain for the vehicle i was more optimistic but it really seems like the amount of time you spent with the with the truck kind of let me keep going let me keep going here here we go one of the best parts of this truck let me down too um the uconnect system you like uconnect right everyone i do well i like uconnect 8.4 i think 8.4 is a very good version it's it's responsive it's bright it's easy to use it stopped working and i all i got was a black screen for Days, for Days? Like a whole, well, for like a whole day. So did you um, call Chrysler and say, hey, what's up? Like, how do happened. I fix this? The moment I picked up my phone to call, and because it was still paired to the to the infotainment system, when I called, suddenly that's when the screen turned on. Really? It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Uh, I had a black screen. I couldn't control my my climate control i couldn't see where i was going i couldn't make any calls on the system but when i did it manually through my telephone then the screen became alive and then stayed that way for the rest of my test it was the most 
it, it is an infuriating thing to go through. Um, and, and it was such a weird quirk that I can't imagine. It was as if it was just waiting to be woken up by, by <laughs> an external factor. And that was it. Um, and that's a shame. This is one of the best parts of the car, the infotainment system. And it let me down as well. well and I you want to know what's worse? Let me tell you what's worse. This thing costs $35,000, around $34,000, um, just over $34,000 U.S., or $43,000 in Canada. That is a significant amount of money. That's a ton of money. So are you saying that that's near premium money? Yeah, that's near that's, – that's why I brought up the CRV and the CX-5 because you could get a fully loaded version of both of those cars for that money. It's it's definitely I mean the other thing is at that level too you're starting to look at class up like if you wanted to spend what over forty grand you could probably get a midsize mm-hmm. crossover that has way more room inside and a lot of the features that you would want. Okay, so I feel a I feel a segue coming, Ben. What Not necessarily, saying? Sammy. <laughs> Because I don't think these vehicles compete, uh, okay. and I also I don't was that American pricing that you were quoting or Canadian? I pricing? gave both. I had the the American pricing was about thirty four thousand, and the Canadian pricing is forty three. Okay, so that's that, and that's for the top tier model. Yeah, it doesn't get any better, and fully loaded. So I I I know you wanted me to segue into oh. the Kia Sorento. We don't need is, to. Which is the well, but you want it so badly. I do, and I, really, I want to give you what you want. Yeah. I mean, within limits, because. Okay. Because you would never stop taking if, if if I just gave in if I let my walls down, Sammy. I know how it would be between us. But um, so yeah, there's a new Sorento. Okay. And it is a uh, 2019 model. It is not really that different from the Sorento that came before it. But like you said, it starts around like I mean under thirty thousand for sure. And yeah. if you want a loaded one, I think it's around 40 in the States, uh, in the U.S. I, I don't have full line pricing available right now. Let okay. me see if I can dig it up. Because, I found uh, starting for a starting price, which is 26, uh, 26980 and that's including destination. That's pretty sweet, man. Yeah, and it's weird because if you look at last year's vehicle, it was actually it's actually started at like 3K more than that. Mm-hmm. So, wow. um I'm they, not sure. Wait, they dropped three thousand dollars from the starting price of this vehicle. They dropped something because I'm I'm trying to reconcile that number with what I'm seeing for the 2018, which is the 2018 started at twenty nine eight ninety five. Um, so anyway, they're in the same ballpark price wise. But what what's new with the Kia? So I I drove the Kia in Colorado and I drove it at altitude. We went from Montrose. Wait 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 wait. Time out. Is this in uh, crested butt? It's in Crested Butte. I went to Crested Butte, which is a place where someone with the maturity level of Sammy Hajisad would eternally be curled up in a ball laughing every time he addressed a letter of some kind. But uh, I started on Montrose, and I drove the two hours through the mountains to Crested Butte, which is at 8,500 feet, I think. It's uh, And the, the altitude kind of matters because for 2019, the changes that have been made to the Sorento are as follows. You get... A different front-end and rear-end that you're totally not going to notice because it looks very, very similar. You get a, a nicer interior if you buy the top-tier one. It's uh, It's got some nice leather on the dash and, and on the seats. It's well done. Finally. But Le- Leather you, on the dash. Yeah, I know. That's what, I know it's what you've always wanted. Uh, but you lose the turbo engine. The turbo engine is gone. You used to be able to order a 2-liter turbo, 
And not anymore. Now it's just the 2.4 liter entry level four cylinder, which is 185 horsepower, mm-hmm. and the 3.3 liter V6, which is 290 horsepower. Okay, I totally understand why. Because if I remember my experience with the 2018 uh, Sorento with the turbo, I said there's no reason to get the V6. There was yeah. no reason to get the V6. There is not. At all. The, the both, <laughs> they're very comparable in terms of power. I believe that the turbo had like more torque. Yeah. And the V6 had a little bit more horsepower, but in real life, oh, sorry, a little bit. It had 50 more horsepower. Yeah. Um but more torque. And the way the engine was tuned was around town it got like way better fuel mileage than the V6 and mm. from a dead stop I think it was really similar acceleration. Yeah. And now it's gone. It's gone forever. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that game. It's like, oh, forget about that. Please, just get the yeah, more Yeah, which is too bad because I like that I like that motor. It was a good vehicle. But, okay. you know, the V6 is still fine, and it gets an 8-speed automatic this year, which last year it had a 6-speed. Okay. So uh, it gets 26 miles per gallon on the highway, and I verified that as accurate, even driving up and down, you know, the valleys and hills in, in Colorado in the mountainous part of the state. Wait, it at 8,000... At 8,000 feet of elevation? Yeah, I was right around what? the manufacturer. Yes, and that's two hours of driving, which is pretty decent. Uh, and I wasn't babying it either. Actually, at one point, I was late for a flight, so I was driving really quickly, like very much too fast quickly. But there's not a lot of law enforcement in Colorado at that in that area. Um, yeah, because they don't want to run out of breath catching people. Disclaimer: Don't go to that part of Colorado and commit crimes just because I told you there's not a lot of police. <laughs> but Ben um, Hunting from the unnamed automotive broadcast told me there's no crime. He said there might be no a crime getaway. Uh, so I was I was impressed. It, it drove really nice, and I didn't drive the four cylinder. I don't think many people buy the four cylinder. But now that your choice is between V6 and four cylinder, and with no turbo buffer in the middle, I think people might actually take a look at the four cylinder a little harder. The other the other thing that's new, um, it comes with three rows of seating, no matter which version you buy. In the past, there was like a okay. really weird series of configurations you had to do <laughs> to make sure you got three rows. Like some models, you could get the turbo, but no three row, or the base model had no three row, but the V6 had three rows. It was confusing and there was no real reason for it. I couldn't figure it out. Anyway, that's gone. So they're all three row now. And the third row, it's fine if you're a kid, if you're an adult, don't go back there. You won't You won't be happy. Uh, but the second row is great. There's lots of room. And uh, I just want to say that Kia sells a huge number of Sorrentos every year, like 100,000 every year for seven years what? in a row. Yeah. Last for year, there's a. Seven years in a row. Seven years in a row. Last year was the exception, I think, because 2018 might have been a short model year because they knew this one was coming. So it didn't do quite as well. But mm. wow, that's, that's a huge number of vehicles for any car company to, to move. And I totally understand why. The Sorento is one of my favorite midsize SUVs. It's what I would buy if I was in the market for that kind of vehicle. It's comfortable. You get a lot of features for not a lot of money, as we were kind of discussing earlier. And it really compares well. It's more stylish than, you know, the Highlander or something like that. It's it's not as blobtacular as many other crossovers are in the midsize segment, and I really appreciate that. I mean, Kia makes an effort with this vehicle, okay. and uh, it's important to them. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to say I kind of wish that they made this this year's vehicle stand a little bit more apart from the last one. But this is not a redesign, like a new platform. And new, no, it's a refresh. It's, it's a refresh. It's, okay. Yeah. So it looks it looks like a grown up version, a more matured and refined version of the old of the last generation or the last. Exactly. Year one. Well, I don't know if it's more mature. It looks slightly different. <laughs> Let's um, put it that way. I don't know. I I like the way they they they. I think you drove this limited model, and I'm seeing some photos of it that look really sharp. The the new the LED headlights look really twinkly and nice, and they and they mesh well with the chrome accents of the front of the front end. Um, can you talk to me about this transmission? Well, it, it's an eight-speed that uh, Kia has actually developed in-house, and they're very proud about that. The the all-wheel drive system is actually built by Magna, I believe. Oh, cool! And, and a European, uh, a European, I guess uh, Austrian. Is the best way to say it? supplier. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, the 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 new the new the new transmission all internal. It's uh, it's fine. I mean, I didn't notice it at all when I was driving, and that's kind of what you want out of any transmission. So uh, kudos to that. Like I said, it's not that the Sorento is particularly fast or particularly great handling. It's it's just kind of the package of the vehicle that just works. It fits into your life. You can do a lot of stuff with it. I, I drove one to New York City once for the auto show a few years ago. That's mm-hmm. about a five and a half hour drive, and it was, that was a turbo model, and it was perfect. It was exactly what I needed it to be. Now, the reason I brought up that transmission is that I understand that there's this new thing that Kia and Hyundai are doing. They have um, a smart mode? Smart? Does that sound familiar to you? I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, uh, I understand that there's this, there's this smart transmission mode that apparently monitors what you're, how you drive, and then... Oh, I thought you said smart road. Like, smart they had some kind of, like... Mode. Smart mode. AI road somewhere that was going to judge your driving and then give you a, a score at the end. Which is and not then, to say that they don't have that. They just they, don't maybe tell they you. Maybe they have it. that. Yeah, well, it's just a drive mode. It's like it's 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 just automatic drive mode. It's not any. I don't. It's nothing special. No, it's it's not something. Oh, something that is kind of weird though. Mm-hmm. They showed a video where they took the Sorento through Hell's Revenge, which is a trail in Moab. Okay. <laughs> and. Um, because you can lock the the, the, the the all-wheel drive system on a lot of Kias actually has a, a 50-50 lock button cool. where the center differential splits the torque evenly. Mm-hmm. So they, they took a, a Sorento and I think they, they, they might have taken a bumper off or something or they added a skid plate. Just they didn't make any real changes. Skid plate and tires, I think. And then they drove it through Hell's Revenge. And it's not at all an off-road vehicle, but they wanted to prove they could do that. So that was kind of fun. I mean, no one cares about that when they're buying it, but it, you know, it can do it. Now, I think me and you have had this conversation in the past. This is a very good, very good crossover. You said that already. But is it the best in the class? It used to be to me. It used to be one of the most important vehicles in the class and a a dark horse competitor throughout the whole thing. Who would ever say that the Kia Sorento was their favorite thing? I would. I would definitely. Yeah, I think so, too. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I would point people in this direction as often as I can. Is this the same? Is it still not? Is that still the case? You know, I would put it up there with vehicles like the Ford Flex, which is super old but still really good. Oh, do and they still sell the Ford, the Ford Flex? I don't think you can get it anymore. I think you can. Oh, by the way, I found the loaded price for the new Sorento. The loaded price is forty six thousand, okay. and the entry level price that you quoted with the with delivery was was accurate. Okay, they do. So sell. that's crazy. And they do I mean, sell Ford Flex. don't buy a Compass. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, if this is definitely something you should consider. If you're at the top level of the compass and you want something more capable, just a better all-around package. All right. Let's let's find out if Ford is still selling. Yeah, they are. I just checked. Uh, Both the Flex and the Explorer are still available. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course the Explorer is. 
Yeah, sorry. But I would take a Plex over an Explorer, no question. And I would take a Sorrento over an Explorer as well. <laughs> um, and and the Highlander. There's also been some new things in that class, like the Atlas, right? I haven't driven the Atlas. I'm picking one up Monday. Okay. So I guess we'll see. Mike, um, the Atlas has been um, lukewarm, I think is the best way to say. Not bad, not fantastic. I liked it in isolation. But I still stand by the Sorrento is one of the best ones in this class. Um, the only thing that I think would be more interesting, and I don't know if interesting is the best way, is a, is a qualifier of successful, um, is the Durango. I think the Durango can always be a really fun pick in that segment. But I think the Durango is something else because, I mean, you're stepping up to V8 power and a much higher tow rating. It's it's kind of a, I think it's a different customer. Okay. But you're right, they do compete at least obliquely. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> Um, what else did you do while you were up there in Crested Butt? I mean, Butte. <laughs> I, I drove a, uh, so Kia also had an, a snow and ice track set up, which was pretty cool. They gave us all Stinger GTs, which are the, the twin turbo V6 all wheel drive, you know, super hatch that they, that they've built. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they set us loose on this pretty intense ice track. And I say intense. So I thought it would be like, you know, here's some exercises where you're going to go around some cones and there's going to be snow and nothing you haven't seen before. Right. So I get there, and they have this massive track carved out of a huge field. And, and, and it's not just like a flat field either. It has elevation changes and whatnot. The front stretch, you could go 100 miles an hour on snow Whoa. before the corner. Yeah, so they had set up this braking point. There was like a pair of a pair of uh, pylons where they wanted us to start braking because no one wanted anyone to be hitting that first corner apex, braking from 100 miles an hour <laughs> on snow in like a 4,000-pound, like mid-size, full-size luxury car. So when I got to the braking pylons, I was doing 85 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's really intense. And then on there's ice? A, on ice and snow. snow. Mostly snow, but okay. there's ice. And and the there was a back stretch too that had a kink in it, but it was just as long. And I remember they they let us go out without any instructors in the car. I was driving with Beverly Braga, who is a, another journalist, a friend of mine, and we were paired up for the day. And we just went out with each other. Like there was no one, you know, no one telling us how to drive or anything. Fortunately, there was no as a, instructor. There it's was funny like... because as a Canadian, I'm pretty comfortable on the snow and ice. I spent a lot of time messing around when I was a kid doing that. I. I I've gone ice racing on frozen lakes and stuff. It's not a big deal. Bev's from Hawaii, and uh, it's it's she she got out of the car after the first session. She's like, "This isn't sand," <laughs> and it definitely wasn't. It's it's it was it was fun to have that that different perspective in the car. But uh, the reason I, I mentioned this this long back straight is because I took it way too fast on my second lap, and there's the end of the straight is an uphill left hand hairpin. And there's a fence, like, at the edge of the track, and I was hurtling toward this fence, and my thought was, I'm going to hit the fence. I'm going to be the guy who puts oh, the no. stinger through this cattle fence, because I didn't think I could stop. So I'm hammering on the, the ABS, and I'm, like, flipping down on the paddle shifter to, to gear down and try and stop. I ended up taking this hairpin super wide sideways all the way out to the other snowbank and they had all the instructors on snowmobiles at various key points on the track with radio so they could talk to you in the car yeah and like i get through this hairpin and there's this voice comes on the radio it's like uh maybe not so wide next time (laughs) that is a good that's good advice 
It was good advice. But it was fun. It was it was great. That was, it. It. We just, that was the only piece of advice. That Don't was go it. so wide. Uh, uh, well, maybe, you know, throughout the day, <laughs> like no one, no one mentioned that. <laughs> no one had mentioned that. That was uh, that was the lifesaver. But um, throughout the day, what happened was all the apexes, and this happens on any snow track, but you lose grip because everyone's driving the same part of the track, and it polishes, yeah. and you end up with ice underneath. And so you have to adjust your drive more so. I mean, any racetrack throughout a session is going to change. The grip is levels are going to change based on where you are on the track and where everyone's been driving. But on ice and snow, you notice it that much more because the limits are so much lower. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the second hour, it was clear that you could no longer access the apexes of any of the the corners. And I felt bad actually for the group that went after us because there's no way they could drive quickly on the track. So you ended up having to go super wide and then cutting across. And when you would cut across the apex or near the apex, you would have to be very ginger on the power because if you put down anything at all, the uh, the car would get sideways. But I have to say, they were on uh, Michelin tires. Um, the X-Ice? I don't think so. They were some kind of... I don't even remember what they were, but I was very impressed with how well they handled such a heavy car going so quickly on very slippery surface. It was, it was a fun day. Um, it's uh, it's not often that a car company will let you do that, and nothing bad happened. Nobody Actually, I was so surprised nobody put a car in a snowbank the entire day. Okay. So there were some other stuff we did too. There were some other exercises like the autocross-style things I was talking about earlier and some braking exercises, but really to have a fully formed track like that and to be set loose on it, it I really appreciated that, and I really enjoyed myself. And I was I was impressed with how the this thing reacted. Um, we, we had the choice whether to turn off all the traction control or leave it in sport mode, which backs things off to a certain degree and turns off traction control but keeps stability control. And uh, I, I left it in sport mode for most of the day because it really wasn't that intrusive. Cool. Um, I have a lot of love for the um, for the Stinger. I think that's an awesome car. I have been dying to find out what it's like to, in the winter because um, as an all-wheel drive um, optional vehicle, I can imagine it would be very fun. As a rear-wheel drive vehicle, I can imagine also being um, a bit interesting. Uh, I've had some experience driving luxury car, rear-wheel drive luxury cars um, in the snow, and they can be diff- very different experiences based on how they're set up. If your cars were all-wheel drive, yeah, all the Stinger yeah. GTs are all-wheel drive. Oh, that's right, my mistake. Um, and I'm I'm hopeful. That's the one of the things that can really make this car feel as good as some of its German competition, its luxury um, classmates. Right when you look at like. BMW and their X-Drive or Mercedes and their Formatic or Audi and their Quattro systems. Those systems have been around for a long time and they have fans and for Kia to jump right in there and say, we've got something that's just as capable and show you guys it um, and let you have fun. That's a a pretty big win. And unlike the Sorento, the the GT's uh, all-wheel drive system is, again, completely developed in-house and very different. It's It's not managed at all in the same way. Very cool. Um, I want to know if they're going to make an experience like that available to customers. I really don't know. It wasn't something that was discussed, so I don't think so. Okay. But I do know that Kia has a ton of events where they're leveraging other brands' equity to get people to come drive the Stinger. Uh, where they're like, hey, come drive the Stinger and the BMW 6 Series and the Audi A7 back-to-back. Mm-hmm. It's a smart move because you get people who might not have ever considered a Kia before suddenly driving a Kia. Yep. Even if they really want to be there driving a BMW, so it's it's a good it's a good environment for the GT, GT to be in. 
even if no one buys the GT that day or go, or if there's no intenders who show up who are like, yeah, I'm in the market for one of these cars, it still plants a seed. And getting getting butts and seats is a big battle. That is a huge thing. I actually, I actually really like that strategy of being like, uh, this is a Porsche uh, Panamera and this is a Kia Stinger. Let's drive them and see what you really like. Let's drive them and try to be as as um, as open-minded to the experience. And people will probably come out thinking much higher of the Kia than they do the the, the Porsche. Although Porsche, the Panamera is very good. <laughs> um, anything else you want to add this week? No, not particularly. I think that's I think that's it for me. Uh, happy birthday, Ben. Uh, this is I didn't get a chance to say that before the last podcast, which was right before your birthday. But happy birthday to you, sir. And I hope you celebrate it. Uh, or celebrated in the most unnamed automotive podcast style, which is quietly and alone. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of, with a pair of headphones on. Yes, with a pair of headphones and a squeaky uh, office chair that you can hear through the microphone. So if you wanted to uh, celebrate this podcast yourself on a regular basis with a pair of headphones, how would how would you do that, Sammy? Uh, I would go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com uh, and take a look at our, our back catalog and check those ones all out including the last one we did which was similar to what you just mentioned it was like a, a maserati experience one of the ones that we had a couple uh, a couple of days a couple of weeks ago uh and people really enjoyed that one we got a lot of good uh, reception on that but we had some other cool ones where you drove the the xf sport brake and other cool stuff look you can go on the website or you can even subscribe on google play music um itunes are we on spotify yet I don't think so, but it's coming. Okay. And uh, if you are going to listen to us on any other music service, it would be great if you could just give us a rating or leave a comment because that helps us find more listeners. Yeah, here's my comment. Sammy rambles way too much. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to get a hold of us on social media, you can do that, like Sammy said, on our Facebook page. Or you can find us on Twitter. Sammy's handle is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And mine is at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, that's excellent. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.